0: Uh, tonight we're in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19. Now last week we uh, we saw David slay Goliath, right? Which was a great victory for the Philistine or for the Israelites over the Philistines. Uh, Saul was happy about that. Uh, he said he loved David. And then they have a great victory over the Philistines. He starts hearing some things about how how great David is compared to himself, to Saul, and and he he wasn't so happy about that, right? He became suspicious and fearful of what David's agenda is. And so we see these multiple plans to try and kill David during this time. And uh, ultimately, David doesn't fall to these plans, right? They fail. But by the end of chapter 18, Saul has attempted to kill David at least four times by the end of chapter 18, four times. That's my attempt to kill count. Okay. We're going to increase that as we go this evening, but four times he's tried to kill him. It's all been done at least the last two times, a little bit sort tip, uh, you know, under behind the scenes, right? He's trying to hide that he's trying to kill David. And it's because The people love David, right? David is very successful in these battles. The people love David and care a great deal about David, and so does his son. And so he's kind of behind the scenes trying to allow his enemies to take out this other enemy that he perceives in David. But in chapter 19, verse 1, we're done with the pretenses. We're not trying to hide it anymore, right? We're just Flat out says, verse 1, Saul told Jonathan, his son, all his servants to put David to death. Okay, there's a command from the king, right? And so let's look at the first question that we had for tonight. What is Jonathan trying to do after this? He's told by his father, kill David. So what is Jonathan trying to do in verses 1 through 6? Yeah, he warns David, right? So that's, part, that's the first part of it. He warns David. What else is he trying to do? Yeah, he's trying to, to correct this problem that he sees his father have, right? Okay, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have been wrong? Ever. Ever. Okay, that's about everybody, right? How many of you have had somebody point out to you, they've had to point out to you that you've been wrong? Okay. What if it's your child? That can be a bit, bit humbling, right, for us. Uh, I'm not afraid to tell you, but back in the college and high school class, I have taught your children to do this. You know, to do it in the right attitude, to do it in the right way. But think about this. You have a son confronting his father to tell him that he is sinning. He says that twice in this section. Father, you are. why are you committing this sin? And that takes courage, right? It takes courage. It's not a comfortable thing to confront your parent and tell them that they are in the wrong, that they are sinning. It's not a pleasant thing. It's not something that Jonathan is like looking to do right here, right? He doesn't want to try and stick it to his dad. No, he's trying to solve this problem that he sees that his father has. And that's tough, right? That's tough. To learn from Saul's side of this, though, we as parents, you know, hopefully want our children to be able to do this to us, right? At some point in time in our lives, if we need to correction and that needs to come from our child, we would love our children to have the courage and the faith and the grounding in the Lord to confront us and show us where we have failed, where we have come up short, where we have sinned so that we can correct that because they love us, right? That's what we as parents hope in our children, We have to be able to see it though, right? We have to have open minds enough so that when our child comes to us and tells us, you have, I believe you're sinning here, that we don't immediately just shut it down and say, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm doing in my life. I am in control of my life. You can't tell me what to do and move on, right? Brush it off. We have to have open hearts and minds and understand that we are fallible, right? We can't know everything. What is Saul's problem that Jonathan wants to correct? I mean, Jonathan's, or uh, Saul's big thing here is we have to kill David, all right? Jonathan's question is, why, <laughs> right? Why? Why do we have to kill David? What has he done? And so Jonathan is trying to correct this perception issue that Saul, his father, has, right? Has David done anything to deserve death? Has he done any of the things that Saul is suspicious about? Trying to curry favor behind the scenes, trying to gather people behind him so he can depose Saul as king and take over? No, no indication of that at all, right? David has only gone out, led the army and been victorious over the Philistines as he has been commanded by Saul, right? He's just followed his commands. And so that's what Jonathan's trying to point out to his father. Here's the problem though. Our perception is our reality, right? That idea of your truth that I talked about in a previous class. I don't like that phrase, right? Your truth. And I don't like that phrase because truth is not subjective, right? Truth is not dependent upon how I feel about it or how you feel about it or what you believe about it or what I believe about it or anything like that. The truth is the truth. That's the unique property of truth, right? It is. But our perceptions... Are subjective. Our perceptions can be flawed. Our perceptions can be tricked. And we do that to ourselves, right? So Saul believes these things. I believe wholeheartedly that Saul has convinced himself that David is doing all these things behind the scenes. I believe that, but that doesn't make it true. Now, how do we prove that a perception is our reality? Right? You may say, oh, well, that's just, that's just silly. Well, that's also how magicians work, right? That's how con artists work. That's how uh, you know, hypnotists and things like that, right? They mess with your perception, and therefore that changes what you believe about reality, right? Let's do an example. If I were to tell you a story about children, a family, they go to school, and they, they get lice, Right? and i'm scratching how how are you guys feeling right now how's everybody feeling anybody anybody got the the tingles the creepy crawlies yeah i just changed your perception of reality right do you have anything crawling on you right now i mean as far as you know no right <laughs> but you felt like you did right those of you that felt that i I didn't do much, right? I stood up here. I told you a story about one bug. I mentioned it by name and I stood up here doing this and you heard the sound and you saw the motion, right? And that changed your perception. Okay. If we can do that with that very small example, what about, uh, I don't know bigger things, right? How about you're moving something and it's large and you can't see? You're going down some stairs. Oh, I know! I made it the last step. I'm right here on the last step. No, it's the last step. And oh, oh no, there's more, right? What about oh, there's definitely not a step here, right? How about that side of it? How about you're in in a at a stoplight? You're next to the turn lane. You're not exactly paying good attention, the turn lane starts moving, and you're like, oh, the green light must be. Nope. Happens all the time, right? We do it to ourselves all the time. And it's because your perception is your reality. Your perception is not reality, your perception is your reality. And that's what makes it hard, right? It's your reality. Our minds are very complex and they like to help us out, right? Our brains are complex and they process information at a very fast pace and they really want to help us out. And why does this occur? Well, it occurs because we don't know everything. We don't know everything, but our minds try to help us figure things out before they happen so that we can better interact with our world. We can better interact with our lives. We can maybe manage things a little bit better, right? And so it makes assumptions. It takes leaps. It tries to predict things based on previous patterns that you've gone through and you've experienced, and therefore it kind of comes up with all this stuff and says, oh, no, this has to be why. When someone gives you an excuse about why they can't make it somewhere, your ability to believe that excuse is real or fake is largely based on your perception of that person, your perception of the situation, how they normally respond to things, right? We do it all the time and our brains are just trying to help us out. But the problem is we don't know everything, right? And so we make mistakes. We get it wrong. We can't make those assumptions, especially when it comes to people and their free will, right? An example of this that I think comes up nowadays is someone coming forward and repenting. They come forward and they repent publicly that's great. We welcome them back. That's great. We you know, we believe that. They do it again. Okay, they're struggling with this. That's that's something, you know, people struggle with you know, they struggle with this and they're coming forward, that's great. They do it again, 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 they do it 20, 30, 50 times in a year. On that fifty first time, how do we feel about it? We may be judging the motives a little bit at that point. We may be judging the sincerity a little bit at that point, right? But the only person who really knows if they're sincere or not is themselves, right? They are take, taking the step, they are coming forward, they're being courageous in coming forward and repenting of that sin. Luckily, it's not our job to judge the heart or the motives. That is up to the Lord, right? So we have to be very careful with our perceptions, they can be flawed. Jonathan is trying to correct that here. How do we fix this problem of our perception being flawed? Well, Jonathan employs the same tactic that we should, right? He employs Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. How do you know if something is not as it proclaims to be? Well, Jesus says in that Sermon on the Mount, you buy their fruits, you know them, right? By their fruit, you know them. How do you know if an individual is not sincere? Well, What about their actions? What are they doing? Do they do what they say? Are they taking steps to enact the things that they're promising? Are they, you know, taking action here? That's how you know, right? That's how you know. And so Jonathan does that with uh, his father, Saul. Verse four, he says, do not let the king sin against his servant, David, since he has not sinned against you. And since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hands and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Why are we doing this? Why are we killing David? What is the reason? That's what Jonathan is asking his father Saul. He brings the evidence. Right. Look at what he has done. What in these list of actions causes you to believe that he has some kind of coup going on behind the scenes to get rid of you. Right. And what does Saul answer? Yeah, I'm not. I won't kill him. What are you talking about? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and Saul vowed as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So Jonathan got through to his dad. Yay. Woo. Right. He's not going to kill him. That's great. So what does Jonathan do? He calls David back, right? Calls David back and David is brought to Saul and he was in his presence as formerly, right? And so It worked. Kind of. Yeah, right. It worked for a while, worked for a little bit. It worked up until what? Got to go to war against the Philistines again. And so David goes back out to war and David is, man, he's really bad at fighting, right? David, uh, if he was just a better fighter, then this wouldn't be such a problem. No, his problem is he's too good, right? He's too good. He's victorious. And he has a great slaughter against the Philistines, and so, uh, so much so that they fled before it. In verse 9, there's an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul. He was sitting in his house with a spear in hand. Saul was playing the harp with his hand. Does anybody else wonder what music he was playing? For some reason, I, I, I just have in my head that it was Birdland. You know, he's just sitting there playing some ver- Jewish version of... And then Saul throws a spirit. No, I don't know. But here we go again, right? What's the problem? What's the problem with Saul in this, in this instance with David? Why is all of a sudden his vow is out the window? He's got to kill him now. He had another victory, right? It came back. You know, he told me he wasn't going to do this. He told me he wasn't going to do it. He told me he's not trying to take my kingdom. He goes out there. He has a great victory. He's going to take all my soldiers. He's going to kill me. He's going to overthrow my family. And he's going to take the throne. So he tries to kill him again. That brings our attempt to kill count up to five at this point. What does David do? Yeah, he runs, right? Well, I mean, that's the smart thing to do, right? The king's trying to kill you. You can't be in his presence anymore because every time you are and he has a spear, it's not working out well, right? Hard playing is not worth it, right? So he, he runs. Where does he run? He goes to Samuel, right? Go to Samuel. And he tells Samuel, or well, first he goes home. Sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. First he goes home to his wife. And his wife tells him, you have to get out of here tonight. You have to get out of here tonight or he, he will kill you. So you have to leave. So she lowers him down through the window. And then she pulls a Ferris Bueller on Saul's men, right? We got to get the, the fake person. We put the wig on him. Oh, they're sick in bed. They're sick. They're, they're just not. They can't come to the door. Oh, they're so sick. Right. And that, you know, that gets one group of messengers. Saul sends another. They go into the house and they find that David has escaped and his daughter has betrayed him and saved her husband. And Saul is upset by this. Right. Why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped and uh David's wife, Michael, says, let me go. Uh, He said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? And David flees and escapes and comes to Samuel and tells him all that Saul has done to him. Right? That was probably a long conversation. But he goes to someone who, who I think would understand. Right? Samuel has already been disappointed by Saul. In that Saul has rejected the Lord. And what happens when you reject the Lord? Well, Samuel has seen it in his lifetime over and over and over again being a judge, right? He saw it with Eli's children. He saw it with Eli. He saw it with the Israelites during that time. He saw it again with the Israelites when they asked for a king. He saw it again with Saul. And again with Saul. And so David comes and tells him all these things. And they both go to Naoth. To escape Saul. Any comments to this point? So we're at Naoth. Saul sends messengers. Uh, do you think these guys were carrying letter bags? He sends messengers. Hey, messengers, can you go take David a message? Uh, the, I mean, I think the idea here is men to capture David, right? Messenger may be a, a loose term there. Um, capture and or kill. Saul probably doesn't care either way. But what happens to these messengers when, they're, when they get there, right? They get there. Yeah, they, they start prophesying, right? So again, let's just back up for a moment. We're at our seventh attempt to kill count now, because the sixth being uh, at David's home. So now we're at seven. Okay, He sends men. They prophesy. He's not okay with that. So what does he do? Do it again. Send more, right? He sends more men. What do they do? They prophesy. So, okay, it's not working. So now we're at attempt. That's attempt number uh eight and then nine because he does it again a third time and each time the messengers can't complete their mission they just prophesy so saul is done sending people to do his job he goes himself right they can't get it done i will do it myself he goes and what does saul do yeah he prophesies just like all the others right I find it interesting here that it says he's stripped naked. Uh, The idea, I don't believe, is that he stripped fully nude, but that he was stripped down to his undergarments. The idea being he took off any raiment, I would think any armor that he brought with him in pursuit of his enemy. And he laid down on the ground and prophesied all night and all day. Now, what I find interesting about this is What is Saul's complaint against David? He's trying to oust me. He's trying to take over. He's my enemy. He wants me dead. When's a great time to kill your enemy, the King Saul? I mean, probably at this moment when he's stripped down and laid down on the ground and prophesying and pretty helpless, right? But there is no attempt on on Saul's life. And another interesting thing to me about this is that this is very similar to how Saul was told that he was going to be the king, right? By the Lord, you will see the prophets coming, and when you see them, you will prophesy with them, and he did so, right? In fact, I believe it reminded the people of that, too, because uh, they said... In uh, verse 24, therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets, right? That saying is repeated, right? It was said before when Saul was chosen as was uh, first prophesying. Now it's said again, when Saul's prophesying again, what's the point that's trying to be brought across here to Saul? Sure. Sure. And you're not going to kill David, right? You send men to kill David and they prophesy. They do not kill David. You come yourself to kill David and you prophesy. You do not kill David. Does the Lord want you to kill David? Well, the indication here, these four times, is no, right? No. But does Saul get the message? No, he does not. Right? He doesn't get the message. And how sad is that, right? What can your fear and your false sense of perception, right? your errors in your perception cause you to do? It can cause you to do a lot of bad things, right? It can really ruin relationships that you had with a lot of people. In this instance, at this point in time, we have David, who he loved at one point in time, right? Saul loved David at one point. We have Samuel, who at one point Saul was close to. The spirit of the Lord is no longer with Saul because of Saul's rejection of the Lord. And this obsessiveness and this fear is just building and building and building and building, and it's going to wreck a lot of relationships for Saul. It's going to ruin a lot of lives. It's going to cause a lot of distress. It's going to cause a lot of problems. And it really all comes down to the idea of Saul not being able to answer that question, right? He, he rejected the Lord, and he cannot find his way back. He's not willing to find his way back. Because of that rejection. And the sad thing is we can end up in that place too, right? Why is it repeated over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament? Do not be deceived. Do not deceive yourselves, right? Um, It's a very easy thing for us to do. If we're not paying attention, if we're not being careful, if we're not studying as we should, if we're not growing as we should, if we're not doing the things that the Lord has given us to do, and we become complacent, then other things will move in, right? Uh, Ms. Janita Strang brought up the idea of you know the parable that uh, is given in the New Testament of the man who was possessed and the demon left. For a time, but then when he returned, what did he find? The house was empty, right? It's not filled with anything, so what did he do? He moved in with a bunch of his friends, right? And the end was worse than the first. We have to make sure that we don't reject the Lord and that we're filling ourselves with the right things, so that we don't get to that point where we can deceive ourselves and it affects our perception and it causes us to go down these twisted, flawed roads that are also talked about in Proverbs, right? We have to be careful because that's very easy for us to do. Any comments? Brother John. I'm just going to say Saul's problem was it was all about self rather than thinking about what's God's will and how can I serve him. It's Mm -hmm. all about me. Yeah, the, the, you know, what is his prize? What is his treasure? And it's everything that he has that was, you know, again, given to him by the Lord, but now he considers it his. So what can he do about that? Yeah. Chris? One thing that strikes me about all this with each of these situations where Saul fails, um, maybe one, another way to look at it is uh, God's giving him opportunities to repent In each instance and we know that because Saul is still alive after each of these Um, and God doesn't have to leave us alive if he's if he's trying to prevent something like um, Ananias and Sapphira uh, it it can be just stopped right there so I I think even though Saul has done so many things God is still like I'm, I'm being patient I'm being merciful with you. Right. The the Lord is patient with us, whether that is Ananias and Sapphira, who got one shot to repent, or whether that is Saul, who has given all these years, all this time, all these reminders. He could have have repented. He could have done it the right way. He could have handed the kingdom over to David. He could have done that at any point in time during this period, but he didn't right? Because he chose himself over what the Lord wanted. He chose himself and he tried to force his will at this point in time in place of the Lord's will. And when we try to do that, it's no wonder that he's eaten up by, you know, what these evil spirits that come upon him. He's fighting after something that is inevitable. And if you're trying to change the inevitable, it will be frustrating, tiresome, make you feel like you're going crazy, because, again, yeah, yeah, you're fighting against something that is going to happen, right? You you have no hope to change that the way that you're going about it. And so, you know, his, his selfishness and his pride uh, become his downfall in that. Yeah. But, yes, the Lord is patient with us, and he does have multiple opportunities to repent, even given to him by his supposed enemy, right? opportunities given to him by his enemy. And I think that's why we, we see his reaction to those things kind of changing later on. But at this point in time, he has one goal, got to kill him. Right. And so in chapter 20, David goes to Jonathan, right? What happened the last time David went to Jonathan? Jonathan talked to his father and okay, his father vowed he would not kill him. Okay, well now David goes to Jonathan and says, what have I done? What is my iniquity? What is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? Jonathan says, no, no, right? Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. But David vowed again saying, your father knows Well, that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this or he will be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives. And as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. And so Jonathan says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And so they come up with a plan, right? They need, they have this, this plan to, to show to Jonathan that Saul is trying actively to kill David, regardless of the vow he made. And so what is this plan? What's involved in this plan? Right. It's a new moon. There's going to be a feast. And uh, it looks like a series of feasts each day. And so David says, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to leave and hide. And then I'm not going to show up for the feast. And you give it three days. And if, if your father Saul asks where I am, you tell him, I asked to go home to Bethlehem and, and do a feast with my family. And uh, you let me go. And if he says, okay, it's fine, then you know he doesn't want me killed. If he gets angry, you'll know that he does, right? And so that's the test. That's the test that they're going to do. After they come up with that test, David says, okay, how will I know, right? How will I know? And so Jonathan takes David into a field. And before they come up with the idea of how Jonathan will tell him, uh, you know, what the answer is, they have a, a discussion about their future, right? About the future of their families, about, you know, how serious are we about, you, you know, Jonathan wanting David to be safe? How serious and is he intent on that? What happens if David takes over the throne to Jonathan and the rest of his family, right? What happens? They have to talk this stuff out now because why? Why do they need to talk this out now? You have to know what to do because it could happen at any minute, right? Saul's the king. Saul is Jonathan's father. Jonathan is disobeying his father's command by not killing David. He could be killed too, right? David's the target. Jonathan could be collateral damage. So this is like, this is not just, okay, well, let's come up with a plan, and then we, okay, it's fine, we'll go talk. Oh, everybody's safe. Nobody gets hurt. It's not a big deal. No, this is deadly serious, right? They are actively trying to hunt down David and kill him. And so they have to discuss these things now because they may never get another chance, right? And so... They, they have a vow, right? Jonathan says, if it pleases my father to do you harm in verse 13, may the Lord do so to Jonathan. And more also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So I will tell you one way or the other, right? I will get word back to you because I am committed to our friendship and to your safety, right? You will be safe. So I will get the message back to you. And then in verse 14, they enter into this covenant between the two families, right? David's family and Jonathan's family. And what is that covenant? Our second question, or uh, excuse me, our third question there. What's that covenant between Jonathan and David's families? Right. It it goes both ways though, right? So if David's killed, Jonathan will take care of his family. If, If Jonathan's killed, then David will take care of his family. And why is that important with David specifically? Because he's going to take over the kingdom, right? What does a new king typically do with the old lineage of the old kingdom? I mean, it's easier, right? It's easier in our physical realm to just wipe them out. So you don't have any Any uprising, You don't have any rebellion. You don't have anyone else saying, oh, no, I'm the rightful king because look at my lineage. Oh, no, I'm the rightful king because look at my lineage. And then you have a giant fight, right? You want to avoid all that. So what do you do? Simplest thing. You just kill them all. Boom. Wipe the line. Start anew, right? Uh, That's the way men do things. That's not the way the Lord does things, right? And so David and and Jonathan enter into this covenant. Jonathan says, if if I die, you have to take care of my family. And David says, I will, right? And it goes the other way, right? If David dies, then Jonathan takes care of his family. Okay, they, they make this vow, this covenant together. And in verse 17, Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. They have a kindred spirit, right? It said their spirits were knit together. They are going through this together because they both know that Saul has rejected the Lord and he's not doing the Lord's commands, right? And that's got to be hard for Jonathan as it's his father. But it's not just that. It's his father trying to kill his friend, right? His companion, his brother, right? Trying to kill someone that he cares deeply about. And it's not for any good reason. It's just for jealousy and pride. And Jonathan knows that David is going to be the new king. And Jonathan's okay with that, right? Jonathan says here that, you know, uh, you know, if, you know if I am still alive, will you not show me loving, the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? Jonathan's making plans, right? If I'm still alive and you take over the kingdom, you're not going to kill me, right? No, David's not going to kill you, right? He'll take care of you and your family. He's not planning to overthrow David in this either, right? He understands that the Lord has rejected his father and the Lord has given that kingdom to David and he's okay with it, even being a prince and the one who would succeed normally, right? But these are two individuals that understand the Lord's plans and that the Lord's plans are greater than the plans of men, right? And so they act accordingly. They plan according to the Lord's plans. Right, that's how they're making this covenant here. And then, what happens? David goes and hides. Jonathan goes to the meal. <laughs> what happens during the first meal? Saul notices he's not there. Uh, it, I mean, when I, the way I read it. <laughs> um, You know, John then says to David in verse 18, Tomorrow's the new moon. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. Uh, When you have stayed three days, you shall go down quickly, come to the place where you hid yourself. He tells him, I will let you know whether my father thinks good of you or thinks evil of you by shooting the arrows at the stone. And then if I send the lad and say they're, they're, you know, there, then, you know, you get them. If I say they're beyond you, then, you know, he's against you, right? My father's against you. If I say they're beyond you. And so, after that, David hides in the field. Verse 24, the new moon came. The king sat down to eat food. He's sitting in his usual seat. Jonathan's there. Abner's there. David's not there. But Saul didn't say anything. He noticed. He noticed. But what did he think? He's probably, he's probably unclean. You know, and that would be understandable as a commander in these armies fighting Philistines. Maybe something happened. He touched a dead body. You know, Anything could happen that would make you unclean. There's a lot of different things that can make you unclean in the old law. So maybe that's the case. But he noticed. And I don't believe, you know, I don't have this on my counter for attempting to kill. But why is he noticing? You know, where's David? You know, it's, you've already tried to kill him like eight times now, eight, nine times. I mean, come on, right? Why? Why do you... <laughs> Where do you think he is? But the second time, the second time, David is not there. And Saul's not okay with that, right? He asks now, why is David, the son of Jesse, not here? Why is the son of Jesse not come today or yesterday? And Jonathan tells him the plan, right? Well, he has to go to Bethlehem with his family to do a sacrifice. And so we let him go. You know, verse 30 is such a, a sad picture of a parent's interaction with their child. Jonathan is not a child as in a youth, right? Jonathan is an adult, right? He's... An experienced adult in battle. He's a prince. He is a commander in the armies, right? He has his own level of authority and his own level of experience. And he is not a youth. He is not a child. And, and Saul in verse 30, his anger burns against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now, send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. I mean, that would hurt, right? That would hurt if your father said that to you. Right? What what is Jonathan's sin, quote unquote, here? What is, his, what is his issue that Saul has? You pick David over the family. Okay? What what has David done? Right? Again, what has David done? What has the family done? Right? that had to be painful, right? And Jonathan has an answer for Saul and his answer is why should he be put to death? What has he done? He says the same thing that he said the last time. Only he doesn't enumerate all the different examples of David's actions. He just asks the simple question. And what's the response? Spear, right? Boom, spear. When I read this before, I always read it as, okay, Jonathan probably like jumped out of the way, right? That's how I read it. I just assumed, you know, like David, you know, David's playing the harp, Saul throws a spear and then David escapes, right? So he probably like lunges to the side and then runs out, right? I assume that's what happened. No, it says Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death, right? That point, okay, I know he wants to kill David. Then verse 34, Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. So the way I read this passage, as it's, it's stated here, Saul throws the spear and Jonathan sits there, watches it, not hit him and then gets up from the table. Um, I mean, talk about, you know, as Brother Leland sometimes says, things that you wish you could see, right? Scenes you wish you could see played out because, I mean, this is a very dramatic scene, right? Very dramatic occasion here. You have a father and a son going head to toe because the father is in the wrong and will not acknowledge it, will not admit it, and will not repent of it, right? His will is going to be done, and so, you know, who cares, right? He's going to do it because he wants it done, And Jonathan gets his answer that he needs and it it just causes him to have this fierce anger, right? That's understandable because again, Jonathan cares about the will of the Lord. And the will of the Lord had specific reasons for why somebody should be put to death. The will of the Lord, the law of the Lord had specific reasons why somebody could be taken up for capital punishment and because you don't like what people are saying about them, is not one of them, right? That's not found in the law. It's not, Saul said so, therefore we can do it now, right? What has he done? Saul doesn't have an answer, but he has a spear. He has his anger, so he lashes out with that. And that gives Jonathan his answer. So in the morning, Jonathan goes to the field with David, uh, or appointed with David, uh, and a lad was with him. He shoots the arrows. He tells the lad to run. When they, the lad reaches the place, he said, is the arrow not by, beyond you? And then in verse 38, I think this is sad. He says, hurry, be quick, do not stay. Right? He, he wants this done fast. Because it's not good news. Right? It's not the news he wanted to deliver. It's, it's a sad state of the kingdom And the king that they are now under and a sad state for their relationship going forward, a sad state for the relationship of Jonathan and his father, who Jonathan is still going to be with his father, serving under his father, who he disagrees with so severely. And it's just, it's just a sad situation, right? David and Jonathan know that this is probably one of the few times they will ever see each other again because of this situation. And so uh, they, they meet David or uh, David bows his face to the ground three times. They kiss each other, wept together. David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, go in safety inasmuch as as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord saying the Lord will be between you and me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. At this point in time, David is now going to be on the run for 10 to 13 years. That's a long period of time to be on the run, right? But it starts here. And it's, it's all because of Saul, right? There were multiple attempts to rein this back in, multiple attempts to not allow this to happen, but yet Saul forced his will to be done in this situation. And so therefore David is, is on the run again. But that will not be the case continuing on, right? Saul's will will not be done the Lord's will will. Okay, thank you.